0: I know that obviously not everyone was able to partake in that video, but does anyone here this morning have something they'd like to share, a memory that you have from your dad, someone that hasn't already shared? uh, Maybe it's a memory, maybe it's a a saying that your dad would say, something that is a lesson that has just kind of been ingrained within you. Does anyone have anything like to share? Brother Jeremy? Sometimes you don't need to say anything. encouraging, isn't it? Mike, musical oriented, huh? Maybe we should have you lead some music every once in a while. <laughs> Anyone else this morning? Join us? Amen. Setting the right example. Amen. There's a lot that we can that we can share, and it's just it's a blessing to be able to look back upon it. And even like you said, brother Jeremy, not even necessarily you know um, learning from lessons in church and things like that, but you know just life lessons in general. And praise the Lord for how the Lord can can work and use the fathers that we have. This morning we're going to be looking at a couple of. Of passages in the Bible. And we're gonna start by looking at a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 22. So let me encourage you to follow along and in a moment we'll look at a few verses here in Ezekiel 22 in a sermon that I've titled, Men in the Gap, Men in the Gap, Ezekiel 22. In our house, ever since we started talking about Mother's Day at the beginning of May, the kids were asking when it would be father's day well at least lily was asking that elijah was too busy asking when it would be brother's day strangely enough we found out that brother's day is an actual thing it's a real thing believe it or not there is a day that is known as brother's day on the calendar i had to inform him though that we would not be celebrating that in church Uh, even though Today is Brother, or Brother's Day, goodness gracious. <laughs> Even though today is Father's Day, I'd like to, to broaden the topic a bit to, to talk to all men. And the Bible offers much encouragement to men, and I'd like to draw your attention to a passage of Scripture that may not necessarily jump out at us as, as a Father's Day passage, but I believe it has tremendous value all throughout the bible we read that god has instructed men to lead and there are certain qualities that they should possess to be the effective and the godly leaders that he has called us to be a man isn't a leader because he is a man he is a leader when he is living the the life for god and setting the right example for others to follow quite frankly there are a lot of men who think they are leaders but no one is following them and they're just out for a walk Uh, To be honest, we don't have enough godly men today. And if you took even just a moment to look out into the world, I think it shows. It shows that there isn't enough godly leadership in this world. In a 2019 um, report, there were 15.6 million um, single-mother-headed households in America. While there are different factors that lead to the situation, the majority of these are a result of the father walking out on the family. Nothing against mothers, but God designed the family unit to consist of a mother and a father for a reason. Children need proper leadership. And if there's one thing that we've heard from the different testimonials, is that the fathers that we've talked about have set a good example. Children need proper leadership, and they need to see that both from a mom and a dad. Fatherless homes force the mother to have to work extra hard to make sure that her children are taken care of, and at what expense? When does a single mother have time to get a job? A single mother doesn't have time to get away from work because in many cases, she has no one to watch her children for her. And if she does, what ends up happening is that other people end up raising her kids. Studies have shown that there is a direct link between rise in violent crimes among children that are raised in homes where fathers have abandoned them. High crime neighborhoods across this country are characterized by high concentrations of families who have been abandoned by fathers. The rate of violent teenage crime corresponds with number of families who have been abandoned by fathers. Now this really shouldn't be a surprise. Why would we expect it to be any different when the model that God has provided for success has been abandoned? That's not to say that every child who comes from a fatherless home is going to end up as a criminal or be delinquent, but the path for that child just became exponentially more difficult when a father walks out. It also doesn't mean that every home where a father and a mother are present will end up with perfect children. I will admit, there are plenty of men who have no business whatsoever being fathers. And quite honestly, there are plenty of biological fathers who are still kids that made an adult decision and aren't ready to deal with adult responsibilities. But where do you think these kids are learning this stuff from? What do you think kids are going to think of the sanctity of marriage when their own parents thought that divorce was the best option? What do you think kids are gonna think about abortion and the sanctity of human life when they find out that their parents had an abortion? By no means am I suggesting that the fathers, uh, whether present or absent, are the root cause of all the problems that we face here in the world today. But so many of the problems that we see today stem from the home, and if God has called fathers to be the head of the home, we can't help but wonder if things might be a little bit different if we had more godly fathers. Being a father is certainly a huge responsibility. There are many men today that are more of a father than any biological father. There are many men today who are raising other people's children because someone thought they were ready to be a man, but when push came to shove, he found out he was still a kid. Our children need both a mother and a father. But more than that, our children need godly mothers and fathers godly mothers are extremely special they are nurturing they are caring they are kind and generous they are patient and understanding they are compassionate they are loving and children need all of that but they also need qualities that are present in a godly father and the passage that i'd like to draw your attention to this morning it highlights the guilt it highlights the judgment of jerusalem specifically focusing on the corruption of its leaders God told the prophet Ezekiel to pronounce judgment upon Jerusalem, which he refers to here in Ezekiel 22 as the bloody city. They were guilty of many sins. One of the main sins being injustice that led to death and violence, and it's all done out in the open. Jerusalem may not have been the bloodiest city around in these days, but they should have known better. They had God's word. They had the prophets. They had the priests. They had leaders who should have known better and been directing and setting the proper example. They were held to a a much higher standard, and what we see here in Ezekiel 22 is that they were failing miserably. Jerusalem was once known as the holy city or even called the beautiful city. But now God is calling her the bloody city. The people were guilty of all sorts of crimes, specifically crimes showing a disregard for human life. Seems like I could be talking about any city in the world today. They were guilty of idolatry. So much so that we read in verse number three, here in Ezekiel 22, it says here, it says, Then, they sa- then say thou, thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. As much as there was rampant idolatry, the wickedness of Jerusalem was not limited to what we might call sins of religion, such as idolatry, breaking the Sabbath, and profaning that which is holy. Much of the wickedness was seen in gross outrages of social rights. What we typically see is that failure in religion leads to failure in society. My purpose this morning is to issue a challenge. For years now, we've seen a steady decline in our society, and it continues to trend downward. While we can point the finger in many different directions and 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 assign blame to all sorts of different groups of people as to the cause of this decline, the truth is that I believe the blame rests a lot closer to home. In fact, the blame rests in the home. While the blame doesn't rest solely on fathers, fathers are supposed to be the head of each home and by virtue, the ones responsible for the spiritual leadership in the home. What we see wrong with Jerusalem doesn't look all that different to what we see wrong with the world today. God is telling them that they're going to be judged for their wickedness, and he calls them out by describing their sin and speaking out against their rulers. Notice what we read in verses four to six here in Ezekiel 22. He says, "'Thou art become guilty in thy blood that thou hast shed, "'and hast defiled thyself and thine idols "'which thou hast made.'" And thou hast caused thy days to draw near, and art come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen, and a mocking to all countries. Those that be near and those that be far from thee shall mock thee, which art infamous and much vexed. Behold, the princes of Israel, every one were in thee to their power to shed blood." This really isn't a pretty picture being described here. Things have gotten way out of control, that God's people are basically unrecognizable. God is looking at them, and he's basically saying, I don't even know who you are anymore. You have fallen so far off course from where you should have been, where you started, and what you know better, that you are just like any other nation that's out in the world who doesn't know God and doesn't have God as their God. Those who should know better are doing everything they can to just advance themselves and their own personal agenda, even if that advancement comes at the expense of others. Things are so corrupt that the princes, those that are in leadership, are not governing and they're not leading in a godly manner, but they're doing everything they can to exert their own power. As it says there in verse 6, he says, Behold, the princes of Israel, everyone were in thee to their power to shed blood. The corruption has started from the top. And if Jerusalem's leadership is known as basically being a, a murderers group, the same character is going to be seen trickling down the social ladder. How did it come to this? How did it get so bad that God's people, who have the word, who have the truth, who should have had godly leadership directing them in the right way, have become almost unrecognizable as, as being God's people and are now being called the bloody city? Well, I want you to notice first the loss of parental reverence. The loss of parental reverence. Look at what we see in verse number seven. It says, In thee have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with the stranger. In thee have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. The Hebrew law attached great weight to the duty that children owed to their parents the fifth commandment back in exodus chapter 20 and verse number 12 states honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the lord thy god giveth thee this is the first commandment with a promise And breaking this commandment was a sin in the sight of God, which is exactly what the prodigal son admitted as he was pondering what he's going to say to his dad once he comes groveling back home. Listen to what it says in Luke 15, 21. He never actually gets a chance to to say all of this, but it says in Luke 15, 21, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. That's the first thing he says to himself as he's thinking about how he's going to approach his dad. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. It was a common knowledge that dishonoring your father and mother was a sin against heaven first. Jesus condemned uh, such devices by which some of the Jews in his days were trying to avoid their parental duty. In Matthew chapter 15 and verses 4 to 6, it says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say... Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. One of the biggest problems that we are dealing with in our society today is an increasing apathy toward the treatment of parental claims. Obedience to parents is old school. It's no longer popular in today's culture. And if you don't believe me, just go ahead and take a walk in through any grocery store or any department store or just go for a stroll through the mall and do a little people watching. Spend a few moments looking at how children are interacting with their parents in these public environments and tell me that I'm wrong. Children... Rule this world and parents are just along for the ride. Children are so advanced today that they know what's better for themselves more than their parents. Did you all know that? I'm so relieved knowing that. It makes my job as a father so much easier. The other day I told Elijah to brush his teeth. You know what he said? Dad, I already did that yesterday. I said, oh, forgive me. I told Lily to clean up her room, you know what she said? She reminded me that the floor is the biggest shelf in her room. I said, sorry, what do I know? I told Levi that he needed to eat his food. He reminded me that he doesn't have to eat his food when he spit out what's in his mouth and he made a silly noise with his tongue sticking out of his mouth. I don't know about you, but it is so nice to have children who know what's best for them and can show me how to be a proper parent. of course did not happen. But all across America, we're seeing this growing apathy toward parental reverence. Rather than our homes being led by parents, children are the ones that are in charge. Children are hardly looking to their parents as an example, and even when they do, you're hoping that they don't, because the example they're seeing is a horrible example. We've walked around Walmart, and we've heard blatant disrespect from children that are being that is shown to their parents, not to mention absolute filth that proceeds from their mouths. And when you hear the parents respond to their children, you understand that it's no surprise that the children are talking to their parents this way. If I spoke to my mother the way some of these children today speak to their mothers, I wouldn't be alive to tell you about it. Parents today are more concerned about being their child's friend than being their parent. Let me tell you something. Children don't need more friends. They need a mom and a dad to be a mom and a dad. Fathers, it's up to us to set the example in the home. The reason society is falling apart is because the home is falling apart. The reason the home is falling apart is because men aren't doing their jobs. That's where it needs to start. Men have to be men. Men have to be men and lead their homes the way that God designed them to lead. We're losing the parental reverence we once had and it's happening in churches as well. We're raising generations of children that that lack respect, that lack the proper qualities it takes to lead all because the example they learn fell apart in the home. The state of Jerusalem here in Ezekiel 22, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just perfect and then the day dawned and, and or the, 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 the day came to an end and the next day dawned and everything changed. This took time. It was falling apart years in advance in each of the homes where fathers were neglecting their duties. God is looking for men to stand up and to be men. And Ezekiel 22, it, it, I will admit, it describes Israel probably at its absolute worst. They're ripe for judgment is what God is telling them. God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he's warning the people of the judgment that is coming upon them. And I want you to notice what he says in verses 23 down to verse 29, verses 23 to verse 29 here in Ezekiel 22. It says, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, say unto her, thou art the land that is not cleansed nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravaging the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully." God is telling them that they are ripe for judgment. And he mentions, he says, the priests, the princes, and the prophets, all those in leadership have failed. And Ezekiel basically stands alone as he delivers this warning of judgment. The leadership of Israel has failed to lead the people in a godly way. Rather than directing the people to God and and. Telling them to punish sin appropriately. They have not only allowed wickedness to go on unpunished, but they have openly engaged in it themselves. The example they have set has led to extreme changes in society. Public lewdness, it describes, dishonest gain, openly shedding blood, profaning that which is holy. Have all all of these things have become the common practice. We have rules in our house. And they are all in place for a reason. Each of our rules must be respected. And if they're not, there are consequences to follow. Obedience to those rules ensures that between us as mom and dad and our children, that there will remain a peace. Disobedience to the rules is a violation to that peace treaty that brings on punishment. God had given the nation of Israel very specific guidelines of how, are they, how they were supposed to live, how they were to worship, how they were to treat one another, how they were to take care of one another, how they were supposed to live, how they were to worship, and all of these things, what obedience should look like. God gave them those guidelines as a parameter to ensure that they would live in peace and they would live in safety. Those guidelines served basically as a wall of defense around them, protecting them from judgment and outside danger. What God describes is that their disobedience has gone and punched holes in that wall of defense. The peace they enjoyed while living in obedience with God was now compromised because their borders were exposed and now they were left vulnerable to attack from the outside. And as God lays out the problems, he points out exactly who's responsible. He lists off the priests, the princes, and the prophets. Notice again what it says in verses 26 to 28. He says, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Next group, the princes, verse 27. The princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. The prophets, verse 28, all of them are guilty, teaching lies and acting as if they're building up the walls of defense when in actuality it is going to fall apart and it is nothing more than a vain attempt at security. Over and over, they're listed. The priests, the princes, and the prophets. These are the ones who should have known better. They should have been the ones setting the tone. They should have been setting the example for the people to follow, to maintain that wall of defense. And instead, what we see is that each seemed to outdo the wickedness of the other. And then look at again at verse 29 to see what the results from the example of poor leadership brings. It says, the people of the land. So when the priests and the princes and the prophets, the leadership, are just allowing wickedness to be openly shown and profaned. What are you going to expect? Look at verse 29. It says, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Honestly, why would you expect anything different? based on the previous three verses where your leadership is openly practicing wickedness, why would you expect the people who are looking at them to set the example to be any different? When dad is a deadbeat, why would you surprise, why would it surprise us when the children end up the same way? It doesn't always end up that way, but it doesn't surprise us when it does, especially when we consider the example that children have to look up to. And our compromising as dads, especially as we consider the example that the children are, are looking to, when we compromise, we have slowly broken down the walls that God has put up around us and around our families. And we're opening ourselves up to corruption and ultimately judgment. And in many cases, God is the one who's going to bring that judgment when God is ready to push through the breaches of our walls because we've compromised and punched holes into these walls, I want you to notice that he first offers clemency. Notice what we see in verse number 30. In verse 30, Ezekiel 22, verse 30, this is the, the, the main verse. God says, so he's pointed out the disruption, the wickedness, the blatant disregard for all things godly. And he says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. He says, everyone's corrupt. Everyone from the top down, corrupt. You're right for judgment, he says. You're the bloody city. You made it easy for the enemy to come right through these walls because what was a solid wall of defense when you were living in obedience has now been broken down and there are massive breaches that are allowing anyone to just come pouring through and he says, I'm going to come through and judge you but I'm waiting for one, one godly influence to stand up and to stand in that gap to make up that hedge, he says, before me, for the people That I won't destroy it. Talk about a merciful God. He's just outlined every reason he has to just snap his fingers and and bring the hammer of judgment on these deserving people. And he says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just one. I sought for a man among them. He, He lists the priests, the princes, the prophets, the people. Everyone is corrupt. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. God would spare the land if one person could do it. But he says, I found none. I found none. This is one of the most encouraging and discouraging verses in the Bible. God doesn't have to do it, but he is allowing the opportunity for one person of Israel's men to be men and to stand up for what is right and to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. God is allowing the opportunity for Israel to escape judgment that they deserve. If someone will stand in the gap where the walls of defense have been broken down and he might secure it again. And sadly, as this incredible opportunity for mercy is extended, he says, no one is found. If God delighted in judgment, He would never have made an opportunity for someone to make up the hedge and stand in the gap before him. If God delighted in judgment, he would have brought swift judgment without allowing and showing even an ounce of mercy. As much as God, as much as we deserve God's judgment, he wishes that breach to be filled. He wants someone to make up the hedge, to stand in that gap. Earlier I said that my purpose this morning was to issue a challenge. Man, I know it's Father's Day, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put a damper on this day. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to any of you. But there is a breach that needs to be filled in our homes. And God is looking for us to be men who will make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the Lord for our families. In many cases, God is preparing to come through the breach because he cannot disregard sin and He has to act justly. One way or another, we're going to be leaders. But it's up to us to decide what type of leader we'll be. Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are looking up to us to guide them. So let us set the right example. As long as we allow sin and compromise on God's standards, we're inviting God to come in and in vengeance through the ever-widening breaches in our pitiful defense. It's time that we Take back our homes. Satan has been wreaking havoc throughout our homes and having this, having his way with how our children are raised and it's up to us to set things straight and be the men that God has called us to be. Not too long ago, we, we noticed, Ruthie noticed something very subtle in one of the cartoons that our children were watching, which thankfully our children didn't notice it, but Ruthie told me all about it. It's supposed to be a fun little cartoon for kids and has now turned into an opportunity to sprinkle in elements of a godless culture. I'm not even gonna go into detail, but just because the world says it's okay doesn't mean we have to allow it into our homes. In fact, it's usually a good rule of thumb that if the world is in favor of something, that there's a strong possibility that you should stay as far away from it as possible. The world has an agenda. And that agenda involves moving us away from God and from his word as much as possible. In some ways, they're subtle about it. And in other ways, they're right out in the open. The one thing the world is clear on is that they are targeting our children and it doesn't matter how young or old they are. Ephesians 6.4 tells us, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children look up to their fathers. They look up to their fathers to teach them wisdom. And it doesn't matter how young or old your child may be, they are always going to be your child, and they're always going to look up to their dad. I'd like to draw your attention with the rest of our time here this morning to Psalm 34. So turn with me to Psalm 34. We've seen the problem. We've seen that we need men to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge before God for our families. But I want you to see how that responsibility and what it looks like. Here in Psalm 34, I'm just going to share with you one verse, verse number 11. Psalm 34, verse 11. There are several important lessons for us to learn as we discover the responsibility of fathers. Look at what it says here in verse 11 of Psalm 34. The Bible says, Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. First responsibility, recognize who you're teaching. Recognize who you're teaching. Now, having said this, there is an understanding that if you're teaching your children, that you have something worth teaching them. You as a father need to know the truth of God's word if you're ever going to effectively teach it to your children and live it in the eyes of your children. You can be a great teacher, but you can teach your children something completely wrong if you're not teaching them in the ways of God. And you'll watch them reap the consequences of those actions when they're older. That's not to say that children who were taught biblically will automatically be perfect, but believe me, you're setting them up for success when they're taught the word of God at a young age. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do that. Train them up when they're young. But by all means, be sure to go that same way yourself. Maybe your children are grown. Maybe you have grandchildren that are running around or you're going to be having grandchildren running around soon enough. Teach them while they're young. Let them see that prayer is a priority in your house whenever they come to grandma and grandpa's house. Make them see that. Children are like sponges. They're soaking up every little detail. They're never forgetting anything and it can be scary how much they remember. You teaching them When they're young, it's like planting seeds in the best and most fertile soil. Soil that will produce fruit, sometimes right away, far better than it will do later on. You're sowing on a young heart, and what you sow will be sure to abide there, so be sure to teach them that which is good and that which is godly. It is a child's soul that we're tampering with. It is a child's soul that we're preparing for eternity, so recognize who you're teaching and bring them upright. Second, understand that you are teaching your children for God. You're teaching your children for God. Again, Psalm 3411 says, Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Our first responsibility as Christian fathers is to not teach our children geography or astronomy or even history, nor are we training our children for life in the business world. Our first responsibility as Christian parents is to be, to the best of our ability, the best teacher of God that we can be. Care for them. Pray for them. Regardless of how young or old they may be, let them know you're praying for them and you desire for them to know the Lord and to walk in His ways. Wound the child's hand, if you will. But for God's sake, don't you ever wound the child's heart. Say what you like about the temporary things of the world, but please, whatever you do in spiritual matters, take care of how you lead and how you care for these children. With such a huge responsibility, how solemn and important our work becomes. When you're doing work for yourself, you can do it any way you so choose. But when you're doing work for someone else, which raising children is doing work for the Lord, you have to do it according to the one that you're working for. And it just so happens that fathers are employed by God to teach children according to God's ways. So remember that you're laboring for God. And third, remember that children need teaching. Children need teaching. Again, come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Children aren't born knowing God and will never know God unless they're taught. They're born with a sinful heart that will build up for themselves guilt upon guilt upon guilt which further distances them from God. Yet within that wicked heart, God can plant a seed. Be careful then and don't take it lightly how you teach the young ones that are in your life, always remembering the urgency for their souls. It's not a house on fire that is needing your assistance. It's a doomed spirit that is calling out for you to come and help them. Therefore, teach them the fear of the Lord. Be willing and ready to say to your little ones under your care, come children, hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We may be fathers, mothers, grandparents, great-grandparents, but it is not about us being remembered. It's not about us even being mentioned. If we're true servants of God, all we care about is doing God's work and doing it His way. And that is raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God is the one who keeps track of every work and every service that we do. Leave it all up to Him. If my kids forget my name when they're older, But they remembered that mom and dad raised them to love God and to serve him with all their heart I don't care about my name being remembered I've done my job it's our responsibility to simply follow what God has called us to do and that is to teach our children the fear of the Lord children will get great joy through faith in Jesus but that joy if it's true if it's genuine is full of a lowly reverence and a fear of the Lord The person who trusts in God early in life is saved from a thousand regrets. An early faith in Jesus helps us to uh, form edifying and uplifting friendships for the rest of our lives, which will end up helping us to avoid all sorts of harm in the future. Those that are brought to Christ early in life, they have a greater advantage because they're helped to form godly habits and can easier disregard the ways of the world. Habits soon become second nature and to form new ones can be very hard, but those habits that are formed in youth often remain in old age. Fathers, recognize who you're teaching. Your children, regardless of their age, Have souls that are needing the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Remember that you're laboring for the Lord. And the Lord has instructed that we teach our children early and often without holding anything back. And finally, remember that your children need teaching. They will not learn the fear of the Lord on their own. May they see it in your life. May they hear it from your lips. Now I'll close with the words from Proverbs 14, verses 25 to 27. Proverbs 14 25 to 27, the Bible says, a true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Fathers, men, be that true witness. Be a man who is willing to make up the hedge to stand in the gap before God for our nation and most importantly for our families. And may we lead our children in the fear of the Lord which is the fountain of life. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, for the reminder that we have here on this Father's Day. Lord, of, of what we should be as men, as fathers, Lord, as believers. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for how gracious you are to us. And Lord, I know that we have a lot of work to do, starting with myself. Lord, none of us are perfect. We struggle, Lord, with different areas to show ourselves faithful and devoted to you. But Lord, I pray that such words that are found there in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, would not be said of our homes, that you sought for a man, Lord, in each and every one of our homes, to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap before you for our families, that you would not destroy it. But you found none. I pray, Lord, that that would be changed for us and our families, that as you sought for a man, that you found one one godly father in each household, Lord, who understood his responsibility to lead in the nurture and admonition of you and of your word. Lord, and he made up that breach that was opening up that family to corruption and attack from the outside. Lord, I pray for the families across America that are in need of someone to stand up and to make up that hedge and stand in the gap. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise godly men, godly leaders, Lord, who would understand their responsibility and have the the courage and the boldness, Lord, to do what they've been called to do and to be the leaders that we need our families to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.